Hello, Cyclocross friends, and thanks for tuning in to episode 271 of Cyclocross Radio. On today's show, I'm chatting with Caleb Swartz, second-year cyclocross professional racer, also a mountain bike racer, gravel racer. We chat about what it was like in his first year as an elite, getting on that wide-angle podium at nationals, preparing for this year, how the off-season of gravel racing and mountain biking went, what changes he's made in his program from last year as as compared to this year, and really what it means to be a cyclocross racer in 2022 at the elite level. Before we get to that conversation, we are sponsored by Hammerhead. Hammerhead and the Carew 2. I, I, I have actually gotten back on my bike. I, I think I'm... I, I'm a local legend for my little 20-mile route, which is amazing. I thought people were riding bikes a lot. I get five rides in. I'm a local legend. But anyway, I've been using the Carew 2 before these rides, which has been awesome. One of the things I love, I'm a simple person. I like simple things. I like to be able to turn on the computer, go to the little page with the sensors I'm using, heart rate and cadence. That's about it. And just go. And then I come home. I open up my garage, I stop the, the, the timer, I save my ride, I go into my house, and it's already up on Strava. I don't have to do anything. It's there. It's done. It's easy. I know that there's a lot of technical cool stuff that the Crew 2 does, but for me, it gets everything I want done and without me having to think about it, and I've had other computers in the past that I've had to think about way too much. So right there, it's a win for me. Hammerhead Crew 2, also most advanced GPS cycling computer available today. Industry-leading mapping, navigation, routing capabilities. It's set apart from other GPS options. It has free global maps with points of interest included. It's It's got bi-weekly software updates. They're always making changes. They're always improving this unit. And here's the deal. For a limited time, our listeners, that's you, you cyclocross friends, can get a free heart rate monitor with the purchase of a Hammerhead Carew 2. Visit hammerhead.io right now and use the promo code CXRADIO, C-X-R-A-D-I-O. As I always say in my copy, it's all capitalized, so be safe, capitalize that. C-X-R-A-D-I-O, one word, CXRADIO, at checkout to get yours today. It's an exclusive, limited-time offer only for our podcast listeners. So don't forget to use the promo code CXRADIO. That's a free heart rate monitor with the purchase of a Crew 2. Go to hammerhead.io, add both items to your cart, and use the promo code CXRADIO today. Do it. Do it now. Finally. I took a little time off. So I haven't been able to chat with you all after the wide-angle podium donor drive finished. And I want to thank all of you for taking part, becoming members, signing up, subscribing, and helping to fund all of our podcasts on the network and making the wide-angle podium the place to go for continued independent cycling podcasts. If you didn't get a chance to sign up, it's not too late. Go to WideAnglePodium.com, hit the subscribe button, hit the donate button, 
and become part of our little independent cycling media community. All right, it's episode 271 of Cyclocross Radio. We're talking to Caleb Swartz, and we're doing that right now. Caleb, how's it going? It's going well, Bill. How are you? Um, doing just fine. We are, uh, I think that we're officially out of crosses coming season and right into, oh, damn, I got to get everything ready because crosses pretty much here. Yep. I think that's about where I'm at uh, based on the pile of uh, cycle cross components and tires and glue in my garage i think yeah we're uh we're at the oh oh crap it's here <laughs> <laughs> so are you uh you starting out in uh go cross with everyone else doing the whole uscx yes i am um a little bit tbd about uscx um because of pan ams um i'm planning on going to pan ams if it happens um in which case i will not be doing the whole uscx series and because of that, I'm sitting out in Baltimore to go home, rest up a little bit, and then come in hot again for the World Cups. Have you done any planning for Costa Rica yet? Have you looked into it? Um, a little bit. Uh, all of my entire family is quite interested in tagging along. Um, so there's been, been some discussion of resorts and uh, vacations and um, probably doing more than just a race trip there. But um yeah, it seems quite affordable hotel and resort wise. Nice. Yeah, that seems the way to do it. Have you done any intel with your fellow competitors and sort of gotten an idea about who is doing USCX and who is going down to Costa Rica for Pan Ams? A little bit. It doesn't seem like very many people are going to Pan Ams yet. Um, that's kind of the vibe I'm getting. And yeah, it's clear as mud about what's actually happening with um, with the events and what, who's organizing and how it's being organized and if it's happening and maybe it is happening, maybe it isn't happening. And a lot of rumors flying around. <laughs> are, are, are we going to get down there? Like, I don't know my schedule either. Like I, I'm still like up in the air on what I'm doing with USCX and like Pan Am's could be a possibility for me as well. Are we going to get down there and realize that there's just like 30 Costa Rican ringers that can all of a sudden <laughs> recycle across that we never knew about? It could be all the mountain bikers. Maybe all the mountain bikers will come out and uh, throw down and have to run, and then maybe it'll be funny. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Talking about uh, mountain biking, how do you think you you did a pretty big season? I mean, mixing in – I don't even know how to to, um, differentiate mountain biking and gravel at this point. It seems like everything sort of gets into the the same area, but uh, (laughs) it looked like it was a pretty packed uh, season for you. How'd that go? Yeah, it was a good one. Um, basically, after Worlds and everything last year, I sat down with my coach and other people and broke down, you know, what we wanted to do this year, goal-wise, and um, decided the focus was more going to be more on cross. And then the next step there was looking at how do we use mountain bike season to prepare me for cross season, um, and especially as an elite racer now for mountain biking no longer U23 race under my own program um, for this mountain bike and gravel, whatever season, you know, it's all bike racing. Um, 
and kind of decided we needed to do things a little differently and focus more on the long haul and kind of the big overarching season goals, which are mostly cyclocross based. Um, so I did more stage racing than I've ever done, which was interesting. Um, and a lot more gym work later into the year, a lot more base volume later into the year, um, and chose to, you know, sacrifice some, some hot, you know, kind of top end at mountain bike nationals. Um, and so instead of going to altitude and, you know, doing a whole bunch of intervals to get ready for winter park, you know, one race weekend, I was doing 25 hour base weeks for the three weeks leading up to it. Um, so that was, that's obviously not ideal mountain bike nationals prep, but that was a, that was a choice I made and I suffered accordingly. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think you were alone suffering on that, on that course at altitude. (laughs) So, so you're kind of bucking the trend. It's like everybody else seems to be going the other way. You know, I talked to Carrie a couple of weeks ago, talked to some other folks, you know, probably Curtis excluded, who's still all in on cyclocross, but it seems like the move more is towards concentrating on gravel and mountain biking events and then maybe doing some cyclocross. So it's, uh, so it's interesting. So I guess, would you consider yourself first, first and foremost, a cyclocross racer? I think so based on what, I, where I'm focusing this year, but really I think I can, I can do anything. I can race gravel. I can race mountain bikes. It's all fun. I think I've been very competitive in all regards all year long. Um, you know, everything from whiskey to, you know, I did gravel stage race a week and a half ago. And, um, yeah, it's been interesting. And I think that's part of, you know, the luxury, luxury, I'm using air quotes here of running my own program is that I can pick and choose what I want to do. Um, and I was able to garner more support for cross season. And there's definitely, definitely feeling the gravel push from, you know, some places and that's definitely a possibility in the future um but i first i want to really see what i can do in cyclocross season um and i think that's my favorite type of racing and i think that's where my it's where my heart lies at the moment and giant makes a cyclocross bike still right they do indeed a specific cyclocross bike that is not their gravel bike so they have the the revolt for gravel and the tcx for cross so as far as big manufacturers go, it's pretty much Trek and Giant at this point, right? Or maybe Canyon? Do we cl- do we put them in there as well? Yeah, I think so. And I mean, gosh, I mean, the, the crux is the crux is a cross bike and it's a gravel bike, which just yeah, yeah. We're, no, no, we're not counting it. We're not counting it. They're yeah. they're they they've they've made the decision that that's a gravel bike <laughs> <laughs> that so you can race yeah. cyclocross on. <laughs> Yep. Yep. And yeah, I guess Scott too is like, oh, this is the attic something. It's definitely not, it's definitely not a cross bike. This is different. We swear. Um, (laughs) which there's a lot of that happening. And yeah, I think I, I definitely like gravel. It's definitely interesting. There's a lot of opportunities there. It's huge. I think I'll probably be doing more of it next year. Um, and I, you know, I, I was talking to some about this the other day that, yeah, as much as I love cyclocross, not the not the hill my professional cycling career is going to die on um and if i can make twice as much money to go race gravel i will go do it and like last you know last race block i did i spent a week camping in the canadian rockies in the woods racing the stage race every day you know through 
the mountains and I was like, yeah, this is a, this is a lot cooler than downtown. (laughs) Yeah, no. And, and, and you're right about the money. I mean, I'm in the same position about the money. I do much better in, in mountain biking and and gravel than I do in cyclocross, which is, you know, kind of sad on some levels, but it's also, it's kind of the way it's going. So with this, uh, this last, uh, gravel race, you were, you were at the stage race where you, did I see right that you were, uh, Vandenham was there as well for that one? Yeah. Michael was there too. And yeah, that was the trans Rockies gravel Royale, the same trans Rockies series, um, our event promoter that does like single track six and, uh, Moab rocks and a bunch of running races. Um, and yeah, we were both up there to get some intensity with some volume. And then it also ended up being like a lot of running and a, yeah, a lot of hike a bike. And it ended up being, we were both like, wow, this is way better cyclocross prep than we thought. Cause we ended up, you know, doing single track descending and running and off cambers and mud and creek crossings and motor pacing with basically by, you know, holding, trying to hold on to wheels going 30 miles an hour on a flat road. And, um, it's pretty much everything everything we thought it would be <laughs> and and you're camping during that is it like setting up tents or was or you you got your van or what are you doing between stages yeah so the promoter is basically um the other cool thing was point to point so each race day okay went from one area to another the promoters basically packed up camp and tents for everybody and moved up bags around um but my dad came out to visit uh montana where i live now in missoula he hadn't been out here yet so I did, I actually did a different race on Sunday, drove up to a British Columbia Sunday night, then started the stage race Monday. Um, and he traveled with me. So he drove my van point to point, And I had my, I had the luxuries of the van that nobody else had. <laughs> nice. So, um, you mentioned you moved to Missoula. Is that just for training or what was, what was the appeal of, of going to Montana? Oh gosh. Um, there's a lot of layers there. Some of them I won't get into. <laughs> um, but my sister moved out here, gosh, and started 2020 or earlier, kind of pre-COVID, then was furloughed for COVID. Um, I started coming out here in 2015. I raced the UCI race here for years and years. Um, I did collegiate mountain bike nationals here. I have friends here. Basically, every time I came to Montana and Missoula, I was like, I could live here. I could live here. And it kind of got more and more serious until all of a sudden it was like, Oh, Emma's here. Like, Oh, Emma needs a roommate. Oh, Emma has her job back. It's 2021. Oh, I'm graduating school. Um, and then all kind of came together and moved to Montana. And, um, yeah, there's also a person I used to be in a relationship with, um, who lives out here. And that was also part of that whole, uh, whole shtick. But uh, it made a lot of sense at the time. And also, I personally love to camp and mountain bike and be outdoors as much as possible. And here I'm basically surrounded as far as I could possibly want to go by national forests and mountain bike trails and rivers. And, you know, it's just like paradise for me. <laughs> yeah. And, but so once cyclocross starts, though, you I mean you're pretty much, you know, Belgium, Europe, and Costa Rica aside, you're, you're just in the van the whole time, right? No flying at all. Uh, so that's what I did last year. And I did a lot of van time, a lot of driving. I did like 70 hours of driving in that first two months, um, which was way too much. Um, did it all myself. 
and I also raced eight weeks in a row. Just the way it kind of panned out with COVID wiping our points and then needing to garner the points to go to the World Cups in the U.S. and needing to do those U.S. World Cups to, you know, make it to Worlds um, because all that was done by, you know, points ranking. Um, kind of had to play the game and panned out, but it was definitely hard. Um, and, you know, by week seven and eight, it's like, oh, yeah, I am not racing at 100% anymore. Um, this year, more established, more support, a lot more points. Um, I'm going to have somebody I know from Montana, a buddy of mine. He's going to actually drive my van to West, uh, to, not West Virginia, Virginia for me. I'm going to fly there. Uh, all my bikes and stuff will stay in the van. I'll have a training bike at home. I have a mechanic who will drive the van from race to race for me. Um, and I'll basically kind of race two blocks of racing at a time. And then I'll fly home again for 10 days and then I'll fly to the next one. So it's going to look like, yeah, it's, it's kind of a little bit, a little bit. Of, I watched a lot of behind the barriers during my off season. <laughs> <laughs> um, and some of that kind of resonated with me with powers talking about, you know, that at home time and how valuable that is. And that's always something I've felt has been important. Um, last year after that eight weeks of training or racing, I came home for a month, took 10 days off and ended a perfect three week build in the nationals. And that couldn't have, couldn't have gone better. Um, and I know how I respond to that level of focused training and that at home time in my space and being comfortable and, um, not in my van for two months straight and missing yeah. all of, you know, fall in Montana. So, um, yeah. And, and driving isn't downtime. I mean, that's yeah. right. You I mean, that's not rest. Totally. Nope. Yeah. It's, it's like, Oh, I'm sitting here doing nothing. And then you stand up and your body aches and you're tired and you're, you have, you have brain fog and you're like, Oh wow. That was, yeah, that was awful. <laughs> so going back now, I mean, you're okay. So right now you're concentrating on cyclocross this year. When you, when you first started in back in Madison as a young junior, what did yeah. you, what was the, what was the discipline? And also just, I just kind of refreshing myself with your results from back then. Mm -hmm. Um, Junior dropouts, probably one of the best names ever for, for a team. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Brazen dropouts and the sub team with the junior dropouts. Oh, I forgot about that actually. Oh yeah. 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 So, so how did, how did, how did, uh, how did, how did racing start? So obviously there was a, another club out there that had a junior program that you seemed to get involved in. Yeah. Um, gosh. I did my first cyclocross nationals in 2008, actually in Kansas city. Um, I think I was second to last. Um, Oh, that was, that was the frozen, frozen ruts week too. Yeah. Yeah. It was muddy and messy. And I'm pretty sure I forgot my Jersey at home. So I was racing in just like a black base layer and black tights. Um, talk about a first junior nationals experience right there. Also on a mountain bike, 20, a 24 inch, uh, Scott, like, hardtail um weighed as much as i did and emma was fifth my sister and i was mad because she showed up and got a podium and i got wrecked <laughs> um but next year i started mountain bike racing in 2009 at the old subaru cup mount morris um for those of you who, are, who remember that i have a 2011 mount morris uh, subaru cup t-shirt back in the day when everybody everybody came to wisconsin for that big race um but gosh i was I would say I was 
profoundly mediocre for the first eight or nine years of my cycling career in every way. <laughs> um, I mean, I was back of the pack, middle of the pack at nationals. I was, you know, local fast and Midwest fast, but it took until I wasn't even close to a podium at a national championship until 2015 nationals, which I didn't get because I forgot to pit and my bike, my wheel stopped turning. Um, so that was a learning experience. The old Austin, um, tree gate. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I think, I think even in, in mountain biking, I don't know if you remember this. I think the first time we kind of chatted on camera was 2017 at snowshoe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I remember because it was, it was, it was, it was very sweet. I, uh, you would won, you won national championship. I was doing the, yep. um, finish line interviews for USA cycling. And you were like, it's been so long. I've been waiting to talk to you. <laughs> and I was like, well, here we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that was my first, that was my first ever podium at any national championship ever. And my first national championship all at once. I mean, from 2008 till 2017, it took me to stand on a national championship podium. Um, and, I, and it was a good first one. Um, yeah. He uh, went, went uh, head to head with Quinn Simmons and he, he seems to have done all right in the rest of his cycling career. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was good. It was good to take him on that one. He doesn't, he didn't need, he didn't even need another stars and stripes Jersey. Exactly. We, we just don't talk about how he was with a 15 to 18 field and I was about to turn 18 and he was 15. We just, we ignore that part. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and that's it's kind of funny because it's it's I, I you know have those memories of seeing you back then and even before that you know t- seeing your name out there. So I, I sort of get into this thing where and you know it's not uncommon where we see people like you around for years and years and years and then kind of forget. Hey, this was your first year as an elite this last season. You know, you're you're yeah. 24 years old. You're just you're just kind of starting this sort of pro level elite racing. And and I'm always thinking, man, he, Caleb, he's, he's, he's been doing this a long time. It's gotta be like his fourth or fifth year of elites, but no, but, uh, pretty good, pretty good first season, sort of dipping your toes into uh, elite cyclocross, you know, what, looking back on it now, what do you think you took away from that? And what were the, what were kind of the highlights of your season? Gosh. Yeah. I mean, I think at the base level, I sometimes have to remind myself that like I built, I built an entire team for myself. Um, and you know, that alone to line up in Roanoke last September, you know, in my own, my own van and my own sponsors and my own kit, you know, that in itself, if that was all I had accomplished the whole season, I think that would have been a success. Um, but those were not, that was just, you know, an intermediate step to hit those big goals. Um, and yeah, I think, I think I learned a ton. I think I progressed a ton to start out in Roanoke fighting for, you know, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh place, you know, not even quite in the points to being in the top five at nationals was just I was a completely different athlete in every way. By the time I finished that season, I think everything I learned in the US, everything I learned in Europe, um yeah, I think oh man, it was it was a lot. It was so much racing and it was so much travel and it was you know, my first time, you know, doing everything on my own like that, you know, finding mechanics and driving and booking plane tickets and 
having a photographer and, you know, doing video, video stuff and going to Europe as an elite and organizing all of that. And, you know, just the points hunting and, you know, having to play the games and make the qualifications to make the world championship team selection. Um, it's just, you know, wearing a million different hats. And I think I learned so much about what I need as an athlete, you know, how do I reduce the stress, the chaos to, perform at a higher level you know what worked what didn't and um you know how to how to piece it together and you know show up when it counts at a higher level more consistently i think yeah and i i want to loop back to results in a second but i think what you talk about there just with starting that team it's really interesting you know i look at you i look at uh what eric bruner's done with that blue team he basically started that on his own and it's such mm-hmm. a, a different path than what we saw in the past. I mean, you're talking, you're talking about watching behind the barriers, a Cannondale yeah. huge team at that, at that point, you know, Trebone showing up on Kona, a b- big team mm-hmm. at the, you know, even, even at the, the beginning of that, like Saturn still out there, you know, you got like all of these established teams with money and with sponsors where the riders are just out there to race their bikes. That's that's what they're doing. You know, we we saw a little later with Powers where he started that the Rafa program and then Aspire program, and you could see it wearing on him because he had all these other duties on top of just racing his bike. But now it seems like this seems to be the norm. And I think between you and you and Eric and there's some other folks out there really have are kind of leading the leading the way at least for your class. I mean, you guys are the up and coming class and. Is this it? I mean, do you think this is it going forward? Do you think teams are kind of done in cyclocross? Oh man. Yeah. I think it's, I think the factory era teams are, I mean, that's, it's, it's a goner in terms of factory teams. I think it's just not a realistic model anymore for companies. I think there's, you know, they see the way they can market differently and more, they can do that more effectively and put those, put less dollars in different places and get more results out of it. And um, yeah, I think, I mean, I don't foresee any major cyclocross teams ever starting again in the U S in the near future. I think there's going to be more multidiscipline teams. I think probably there might be, you know, maybe more gravel teams that will have cyclocross racers, um, things like that. But gosh, yeah, I think it's, it's kind of it's what had to be done for me. I wasn't ready to quit. I wasn't going to be, I wasn't, I wasn't going to stop. So I had, for me, there was no, I had no options. I was out of options. So I was like, all right, doing it myself. Like start, you know, starting through COVID and the end of 2020, it was like, all right, here we go. Here we go. Let's, let's figure it out. Yeah. And we're, we're just in this weird place too. And I mean, to, to be honest, me and, um, you know, my, the, the team that I help out with or in that mix as, as well. And you came from one of the biggest Devo teams out there in Bear National. It's like, we're at this weird spot now where the, the development teams are better equipped and better funded than the, the elite programs, which is, yeah. it's, it's kind of an odd place. And it's something that I think we always struggle with. And, and it's good that we have people like you to, to look at, at, that that are kind of figuring out what you do when you come out of these 
development programs because it's hard. I mean, you're kind of set up, you know, granted, yeah, you're not making a salary. You're probably paying for a lot of your expenses when you're on this development team, but it's, it's nice. And, and you got everything sort of there and set up in an infrastructure and then there's nowhere to go. You're, you're kind yeah. of on your own in cyclocross. Yeah. I mean, I think last year was my last, uh, 2021 was my final season with Bear national team. Um, and I had, I had zero options. I had zero. I didn't have a single team contact me about mountain bike racing, about anything. I mean, literally, I was second in short tracks, fourth in XC at nationals, um, top 10, top 15, used to be ranked in the country. You know, and I literally had no options. Um, nobody about this year after last season for mountain and everything else. Um, just yeah it's, it's an interesting era of you know these feeder development teams that have nowhere to feed into um unless you're you have to be you know a riley amos or you know a bjorn riley different people both riley um, <laughs> you have to have you have to have the name riley somewhere yeah exactly you know there's or, you know you have to you have to be so good to get on a european team or elsewhere um or a factory team to make you know it's a huge jump and there's very few people across the disciplines you know of all ages to who can make that jump and um i think i learned a ton about just racing and bookkeeping and everything well having that support and the whole time you know i had the baron national team support then i but i also had um you know angle grass farm and then i had and I always had, I've had ESI grip since I was 15, you know, I've started, I brought in industry nine. And so, cause as good as the development support was, it wasn't enough. You know, I don't know if, I don't know if anybody else who I was teammates with the past couple of years on Bear National had cash sponsors the way I did. Um, for, cause for me, it's like my mom and dad, when I turned 18 or 17, they're like, all right, Caleb, you want to be a pro bike racer? Like, trying to buy your first bike buddy i'm like oh no like like oh this is expensive i better figure this thing out <laughs> like all right like yeah i better better get faster and start picking up the sponsors if i want to if i want to do this on my own dime and i've been doing it on my own dime since 20 you know summer 2017 not that my parents you know haven't helped me in many ways and you know and i haven't always been incredibly sport you know sport um sport sport purple sporting supportive <laughs> here we go lost my words there um but i think that's the reality of it is you know it's this might be a little harsh but there's you know benefit to bankrolling your children into pursuing their dreams but they're also not doing them any favors if they aren't figuring out how to do it on their own because when your kid's 23 and they have no options you know, how many years are you going to pay for them to pay race bikes, you know? Um, and I think I was very fortunate to have so many mentors, um, like Brian Motter and my first coach, Joe Maloney and my parents and other people in the Wisconsin community to, you know, from the age of 15, you know, start writing, you know, sponsorship proposals and make a race resume and do all those things that evolved into, me now sending off, you know, a professional proposal to a big sponsor and with the results to back it up and to be taken seriously by big companies. And like, if 
16 year old me who was getting, you know, 10 pairs of free grips, you know, saw me get, you know, the sport I have now. And I, you know, I wouldn't even believe it. Even, even freshman in college, me, sophomore in college, me trying to do what I was doing and the way I was doing it. They, you know, younger me would just be, you know, I mean, in disbelief of what I've, where I've taken myself just out of determination to not, to not quit because I didn't have the sport I needed, I guess. Yeah. And it's, it's actually, it's, you know, just listening to this, it's, it's kind of a good lesson for people like myself and a lot around the country who, you know, are involved in these development teams that that's, that's, that really needs to be part of it. You know, you do exactly what you're saying, you know, how do you do a sponsored sponsorship proposal to, to a company? Yeah. How do you, even, even to the point of like, how, how do you, if you're on your own, how do you contact a race director and get yourself yeah. parking and get into races and get lodging oh, and, right. and transportation and everything like that? Yeah. It's, it's the type of thing that the reality is, is nobody's going to be on the other end to pick up that stuff for you. You kind of do it yourself and yeah, you've just done a, just an amazing job of being able to do that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's, yeah even just, yeah, like you said, it's that's such a different the business side of things is so I guess under discussed when it comes to junior development and U23 development. Like I've been bookkeeping my own racing account since I was seventeen. I have I have a spreadsheet for every year of racing since two thousand seventeen and every category, every dollar, you know, it's entry fee, gas money, you know, lodging, whatever else, you know, then you know, the prize money I won, everything else, you know, it all and it's, it's also evolved as it still not very good at Excel, but my spreadsheets <laughs> have gotten far more complicated. Um, right. And the other thing, you know, even just like doing your own taxes, I mean, as a, as a, basically I'm running a small business that's like, you know, it's so complicated to, oh, I sold a bike on the internet, but it never actually really happened. Like, okay, how do I report this to the IRS? So I don't go to jail. You know, um, just all those things like, it's like, oh yeah, I sold a lot of, sold a lot of bike parts, but nobody really knows. Okay. But I do need to report this. Yes. Good to know. Um, <laughs> just that, you know, being your own accountant and everything else is just, it's complicated. complicated. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so going, going back to, to last season in cyclocross and, and your racing. So, um, you know, it's such a great end to the season at nationals and sort of working, you were talking about it, you know, just trying to get into that top 10 at the beginning of the season. So how, how big just like confidence wise and just psychologically was major Taylor for you? It was, it was, it's interesting. My coach and I've talked about this one a lot. I would say we were teetering on the brink of disaster there. Um, could have gone either way. I had sprained my ankle the week before in um, Cincinnati and had to DNF on Sunday. I was tired. I was worn out. I was injured. I was like, oh man, you know, this is, this is week eight. I'm running through a muddy field that's up to my mid calf. This is a cross country running race. Like, holy cow, this sucks but I'm out here. I'm on the home course. I got to do it. I'm going to race hard, you know, and I had to break it down into all, you know, control all the variables I could control from day one to day two, um, and still try and perform and almost, almost won that race 
horse, you know, what's, what's the close only counts in the horseshoes and hand grenades, but Scott ran a killer race. I mean, ran because there was a lot of running um, and he earned that win for sure. And we've had a lot of great battles and that was, that was a big one for me because then I went and took 10 days off the bike basically um, and rested and psychologically as a professional athlete, when you don't perform the way you want to perform and then you rest and you, or you have to rest, you don't want to rest. You think, you know, you're, it undermines what you've accomplished, you think, no, I wasn't good enough. I wasn't good enough. I need to train harder. I don't want to rest. I need to get back on it. You know, I need to go, 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 go. Um, but thankfully I performed and I had, I think my highest placing finish at a UCI race ever and got some good points and, you know, was able to throw down for the home crowd in Indy. And, um, then it was like, okay, finishes on a good note. Now I can rest. I'm hungry. You know, I, it shows I still had it after eight weeks. Let's rest up. Let's get after it. You know, let's get ready for nationals. What is, I, uh, let's just stay in Indy for a second. What's the importance or what was the importance to you going to Marion and then racing, race, being a bike racer during college, being on a college team, being, being part of collegiate racing? Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's huge. If anybody who's listening doesn't know, I went to Marion University. Um, I graduated in December of 2020 um, as part of the cycling team there. And um, some notable alumni such as Katie Keough and Corinne Rivera and others have also attended. My sister, Emma Swartz, uh, ex-very fast bike racer, um, personal favorite of mine. Um, you, I, I was going to say for, for this new class coming up, you know, you were talking about how, having to be have Riley in your name for mountain biking. I think you have to have a former fast racer named Emma as, as an elite male cyclocross racer. That's the, that's the goal there. Totally. Yeah, exactly. You have to, yeah, you, you probably need a sibling name with an Emma. Um, <laughs> Emma, out there, you know, nationals and I'm 15 yelling, go Emma Swartz. To clue people in what we're talking about is Emma White, who is Curtis, yep. for, former Olympian now, now retired. Yeah. And sometimes it's funny when Curtis and I are talking, we, we have to specify, we'll say, well, one of us will go, I'll say my Emma. Emma and Emma. <laughs> yeah. Back to, so, okay. So get, get you back on track to collegiate okay. racing. Yeah, it was, gosh, it was, it was huge. It, it changed, it shaped my, shaped me as a person, as an academic, as a, bike racer as an athlete i think it was it was huge i think i had incredible experiences there with the teammates i had the facilities i had the resources i had the coaches the mentors i mean to be there and be so focused and have such good role models and have you know be around so many like-minded individuals um it was huge i think to see how much I grew from a freshman to a senior and the level I've, I was performing at in racing and also in school. Well, you know, I, also, I graduated a semester early, so I was doing an average of 18 credits as well, racing collegiately while racing professionally. And, you know, that meant, gosh, I think my spring semester of 2020, I missed the first month or three weeks of school because I was training in Arizona to then be back in Indy for four days and then to fly to Switzerland to race the world championships. 
Um, so I missed the first month of school and this was pre COVID before everything was online. So it was harder. <laughs> um, but it was, I mean, it was monumental in every way to have that incredible gym facility where I worked one-on-one with the strength coach three days a week for four years straight, you know, shout out to coach G if you ever listen to this, um, you know, to have the athletic trainers, to have the velodrome, the BMX track, the dual slalom track, the single track there, the cross course. I mean, to be training skills on a UCI level cross course, 30 seconds down the hill from my dorm. Um, it was just, it was huge. I think it really made me who I am um as an athlete and a person and the the gosh i mean the the friendships and the relationships and the mentors are you know invaluable to me so going from that going through the season and we get to nationals you end up fifth wide angle podium for elite first year in in the elites and you know just just looking at that who 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 was in the race with you? You know, Eric Brunner won. You know, another young guy. Um, you had you know not in this race, but will be with you in all the races this year. Was Funston? You know, you got Strohmeyer coming up. It it mm-hmm. seems it seems like you know we look at somebody like Gage Heck now. And you're like, oh, old man up there. You know, in in yeah. third place <laughs> at what like 25. <laughs> um, it, 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 it really seems to me that there is this, this new class coming in to elite cyclocross, and that's, that's kind of what I'm looking forward to at the beginning of the season, just to see what you all do versus sort of that established old guard that's, that's been up there for a while. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really interesting to see, you know, who's coming up and where people are going and, um, I don't know if Gage is even, I don't think Gage is racing across this fall, if I'm correct. Nope. Um, yeah, that's right. And gosh, I mean, Carrie's doing a lot of gravel and Hyde's retired. And um, yeah, it's a new, it's a new era in a way. Um, and I, I started racing across when I was just in 2008. So I grew up watching the USGP series. I raced some of the USGP series as a junior. And then I watched the, you know, following years of transition and, growing up you know watching powers versus trabone versus tim johnson you know all those you know just the legends of that era um and it's it's such a i feel like it's a very different sport and it's very interesting um to be a part of it and i think you know i still have posters from the 2010s and other stuff you know back when that was a thing and of all different racers and it's it's very in you know it's a little surreal to feel like I'm a part of that next era and be doing what the people I always looked up to my entire life as a junior, um, to be doing what they're doing now personally. It's definitely changed. I think in the, in the, in the, the scope of it, but just, I, I always like, cause I, I get in my own head about those things and we like to talk about it and talk about where cross is going and, uh, you know, if it's sort of on this downward slope which it's if anything it's you know i don't think you can say that it hasn't plateaued and you're even talking about the fact that there really isn't the money in there we joke about it or half joke about it it's just everybody's passion project at this (laughs) at this point but you know it still is possible to to eke out a living in it but what 
Is there anything that can be done? And I know this is a question that's getting old of me asking this people, but is there anything that can be done to kind of bring that excitement and that engagement back to what it was five, 10 years ago? Oh gosh. Other than, I mean, at first we were like, well, everybody needs to, you know, create a narrative and get their own story out there and you do a great job. You got your vlog, you got, you know, you're, you're doing your part as far as social media is concerned, but it's like, is, and I know the way people consume media has completely changed as opposed to Mm -hmm. how it was before. But so is that it? Are people getting it or what, what would you like to see happen? If you, if you could you know, without bringing a couple million dollars into this, cause that's not <laughs> happening. What, what can we do to sort of bring back some of that excitement? Hmm. I think, Oh gosh, this is a big, big existential question. Yes. Um, I think having GCN back again this year is great. I think that's huge. I think that was, that was probably the biggest thing for all of last cross season, other than the obvious world championships in the U S that was huge. I think, I think people were excited about that. I think people liked being able to watch the races again. I think I liked watching the replays. My family loved being able to watch them from far. My friends like watching them. I think that was, that was a huge first step. And I think having a little bit more of a cohesive series this year with the prize money, I think that helps. Um, I think, I think, expanding on kind of that overall series i think that's powerful it gives the you know the season more of a storyline it gives some people to fight for i think that makes it more worthwhile because that was big you watch behind the barriers in the early 2010s and like fighting for that usgp series overall was huge um it was really huge and i don't know if we quite have that level of investment in the series yet i mean even me personally talking about like how i'm not doing it um, cause I don't know. I mean, like last year, you know, cause it's not all the races there's, they're not, it's not all encompassing. There's the U S pro CX series, which is calendar, in- just a calendar. Yeah. And it's and a, and an Instagram a calendar with points. I don't know. You can figure, if you figure out what that is, you can tell me. Yeah. You know, no, nothing against USAC. It's, you know, it's a, it's an update on the Instagram story every Monday, you know, of a random points allotment that would be like, Oh, so-and-so's leading. Like, oh, okay, cool. Then it's gone 24 hours later and nobody thinks about it until they see it the next week, race weekend. It's like, oh, so-and-so's leading. Like this thing that doesn't actually do anything. Um, so I think, you know, putting more value on a series and, but even then that's just pro bike racing and how, I don't know how that translates into, oh, I mean, a lot of that. So here's, here's what I've been thinking about lately uh, about this whole question I'll, mm-hmm. I'll i'll let you off the hook um right. in, <laughs> so and, and again i think it's it's sort of well-trodden or overtrodden ground now to look at drive to survive and i'm not saying that that's something <clears throat> that we have to look at but it, it's a it's a good example and not just of the coverage but of what you see there in the in the fandom and we see it in the u.s sports as well where you know you are a, I don't know if you're a Packers fan, but that type of thing. And like, yeah, so that's your team and you're going to cheer for your team and it means something to you. And it hurts when, when that team doesn't perform well. And that's, that is what fundamentally we need to 
get back where you're a Caleb Swartz guy, you know, and you want Caleb to do well. And when he doesn't do well, it's going it, to, that's, that's going to hurt a little, you know, for whom, whomever is out there. And that's, that's what has to grow. You know, you, you have these like Ferrari or McLaren or Ricardo or, you know, whomever, Lewis Hamilton people. And, and that's, 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 you know, it's, it's who they are cheering for. And it's, it's not just, it's getting away from, oh, everybody did really well this weekend, or this person did well. And you have to have sort of that competitive head-to-head competition that means something. And as much as we want to love everyone, once people start picking sides, then it gets fun again. Yeah. I think, I think emotional investment in the racers, I think that would be huge. I think, yeah, you look at any typical or um, standard American sports pro sports team. And yeah, I think that fan base investment is huge. And gosh, I don't know if there's anybody in the U S who, you know, is, you know, operates at that level. I think other than close friends and family, I mean, even personally, I hard, I watch some bike racing, but I don't watch a whole lot of bike racing. And I, I'm personally very, you know, there's very few people I'm emotionally invested in when it comes to being a fan, you know, Emma, Emma was my most, uh, <laughs> I am, you know, the person that was most emotionally invested in. I'm, I'm very emotionally invested in her, in her boyfriend, Hugo Scala, who is one of my close friends or a good friend. And, you know, I get really excited watching him race because he's someone I care about. And he's off, he raced for Project Echelon, just ripping it at, um, the tour, was tour of Maryland yesterday or. Yeah. Maryland, Maryland second classic. Yeah. Yeah, but it's but it did again, and maybe it was the money, maybe it was the team aspect of it. But you know, and I know we we go back to Powers a lot, but he was a guy that people went out and wanted to see race and wanted to see. Win. Yeah, you know, you know, I th- I think that um, Clara has that a little bit. Like she shows yeah. up, people want to see her race, people want to see her win, and, and so it is possible. But I, I really think once that investment in individual riders and that like emotional investment is, is another, that's uh, I don't know. I'm trying this out on you. You're like my first podcast for this, right. for the, for the season. So that's the, I, I always need these angles that people can go tell me they're dumb afterwards. So this is, this is what we're trying out now that that's, that's, that's what we need to, to, to try to make this a little more exciting. Totally. Yeah. And I think, I think it makes, I mean, I get what you're saying. I think people need a reason to care. Like what is it? Ethos, logos, pathos. And what like logic, like people, you can't just be like, you should care. They're fast. Like, that's not going to work. And wait, I have to figure what pathos is. Um, <laughs> but, We're all going to cry over it. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like it's. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. How do we get people to be invested again? And I think part of that comes to storytelling. Um, and, you know, you know, the plot, you know, the kind of the plot line of the season and where, you know, where you start, where you go and, you know, how do you get people to tune into that and care and, I think yeah. that with powers, the video work and everything else was super huge. I think, um, and I've talked to this, talked about this with other people and sports marketing agents, other people, and it's like nobody has ever, ever come up to me at a bike race or on Instagram and said, "Wow, I really liked that random race photo you posted," you know. But I read, you know, my vlogs aren't huge, but I regularly on Instagram, more in person, you know at least once a race, a couple times a race weekend, like, you know, like I love your vlogs, you know, they tell me that. And, and it's never happened for 
God forbid, you know, Twitter or Facebook, that's never happened. Nobody cares about those. <laughs> um, and so that right there is, you know, people, people, I think want to get to know the athletes and, you know, feel like they're in. Um, and that's what the vlogs and the video does. And yeah, take a lot of budget from racers to, I don't even, God, I don't even, I don't, couldn't begin to guess what the production budget for behind the barriers was. I'm sure it's, you know, numerous times more than my entire season budget just for me trying to get to the bike races. Um, yeah. I mean, that's the problem is that it is, it is a lot of money. I mean, it's definitely the access and the ability to do it is, is becoming less, but it's still something that you have to pay for. And that's, you know, you got a lot of other things to pay, pay for as well. You know, and, and, and just to, to, to poke a hole in my own theory here, the one, the one thing that, happens in professional sports also is that to have a hero to have a rooting interest you also need an anti-hero a villain whatever you want to call it and none of you all none of you or your peers make enough money to be put in that position and that's always like when people are sitting there shitting on on athletes like on social media or whatever who are domestic athletes it just it crushes me because i'm like you're you're not criticizing Michael Jordan who doesn't care because he owns the world. You're criticizing somebody who is possibly sleeping on a couch to be able to race their bike. And that's just, yeah. that's a bummer. And that always, that always kind of like cuts. So it's, it's like how we find this, this balance of being able to have a cheering interest yet still not have the negative side of it. I think that's, he makes it even trickier. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's not a, I don't know. Thankfully, yeah, there's not a lot of haters in the in the cyclocross community. I would say when it comes yep. to supporting professional athletes, I think that that is a good thing. But yeah, there's <laughs> there's yeah, there's not really any villains either. So that yeah, can uh, everybody's really quite nice, and we go race hard, we push each other. Like I go out there and I'm trying to kill whoever I'm racing against, but then like yeah, like, we're gonna go get ice cream afterwards. <laughs> 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 like, it's, it's gonna happen, you know. <laughs> Well, that's, I, I was, I was actually kidding, uh, Logan Owen, who I guess is jumping back in there and is going to be doing some more racing this year. And he, he kind of came from that generation that was a, a little, a little more physical between the tape. And I'm like, all right, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to teach these kids about, uh, what elbows look like. And he was like, Hey, yep. Rubbing is racing. So that, yeah. that'll be an interesting new, uh, new, new wrinkle in, in this year, possibly. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I know he's doing lifetime stuff, but I don't know if he's doing Schwam again or if he's doing Roanoke and whatever else. But yeah, it'll be cool to see him jump back in. And again, yeah, interesting to see that, like, I don't know, character arc to go from like world tour to lifetime to cross. It's like, like wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, this is, yeah, this is, this is not for the money. Yep. All right. Uh, ended up here. What are the aspirations for the season cyclocross? Oh gosh. Yeah. I think last year had some solid goals. Um, but this year I think I'm going big. Um, I'd really like to see, I'd really like to see a top 20 in the U S world cup. I want to win a first, win a C2 for sure. I haven't done that yet. Um, I think I'd be quite disappointed if I don't podium at a C1. That's a goal for sure. Um, depending on who goes to Pan Ams, if the biggest, the other big names aren't going, I want to win Pan Ams for sure. Um, and I'm shooting for nothing less than top three uh, nationals. Um, there's 
no messing around there. And um, I think I've personally and physically grown a lot as an athlete, even since last cross season, I've trained a tremendous amount. And I think I'm at a different level. Um, and that'll be interesting to see how that plays off to be starting a season, knowing that I am just simply a better athlete than I've ever been with more of a focus than ever on this sport. Um, and to see how that plays out and to take that to Europe after nationals um, and worlds for sure is a goal too. Um, and yeah, we'll see. It's a lot of, a lot of wait and see, I guess. Train hard, race hard and get after it. Awesome. Anything else you uh, want to cover before we uh, call it a podcast? Um, ooh, I think that's, about all i've got keep asking me questions and i'll talk forever <laughs> <laughs> sounds good well hey i look forward to seeing you a couple weeks in in roanoke virginia thanks bill yeah i appreciate it looking forward to it folks back before we started talking about privateers and lifetime adventures and aero bars swift racing was there as the meme discipline we all love to mock and while the meme machine has moved on to gravel racing Swift Racing is still here. Nowhere Fast is the virtual racing podcast you didn't know you needed. It's a real podcast about real racing on fake bikes. Join host Kevin Bouchard-Hall, Mike Swart, and me, Zach Schuster, for interviews, takes from inside the Zeloton, virtual racing coverage, and of course, cheating. Download Nowhere Fast at the Wide Angle Podium website or listen on your preferred podcast app. You can come for the KBH stories and stay for the semi-serious discussion of real fake racing and like ride on or whatever.